Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Hey everybody, so uh, my wife Crystal and myself, we have been struggling with coffee machines for like the last year or so. And I gotta be honest, I really don't, it doesn't bother me very much. I can't stand coffee. I uh, can't drink the stuff. I love the smell of it. I love to go down the coffee aisle or go into a coffee shop and, and just get those smells. But I tell you, I, I think coffee is disgusting. Uh, everybody always laughs at me because I'll go to, in a coffee shop and my drink of choice is a caramel steamer. And supposedly for uh, someone as masculine as myself, that's too weak of a drink and I get laughed at all the time. But I'm just saying, if you try a caramel steamer, then try to laugh at me. They're absolutely delicious. Uh, but anyway, over the last year, we have... We decided to go cheap and get like a non-Keurig name brand for, for a coffee maker for, for CJ, for my wife. Um, and that thing went kaput after like maybe a month. And so we took it back and, and CJ got a, a new Keurig maker that it, it made both K-cups and she could actually brew an actual pot of coffee with it. And so it was, we thought it was pretty awesome. And after, after a couple months, it was going really good and all of a sudden it just stopped working one day. Totally stopped. Uh, I couldn't find the receipt. So couldn't take it back, so we just took it downstairs and we, we just kept it downstairs for a while. And then some people were coming over and she decided to plug it in one day. Uh, turn it on, what do you know? Things started working perfectly. Uh, this machine just literally, uh, maybe not literally, maybe figuratively, we use the word literally too much. This machine just rose out of the grave. Uh, now I'm, I'm expecting it not to last very long, but it renewed our hopes. You know, maybe, just maybe, miracles really do happen to good people, uh, which would be Crystal, not me. Uh, but in the story we're going, we're, we're going to look at today, we're actually going to read about an actual death-to-life experience that happened during Jesus' ministry. Uh, and this is going to wrap up our Jesus' Greater series. And today we're, we're looking at Jesus as our greatest hope. And so we're going to go to the, the story of a, of a dead boy in Luke chapter 7. And it starts in verse 11. Uh, says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin that they were carrying him on, and the, bear, the, the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. So here's a big question. This kid and his mama, man, they, they've got to keep believing in Jesus for the rest of their lives, right? Like, this is some crazy stuff that we just read. People can't possibly walk away from this moment and ever be the same again, can they? But then you think about what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Matthew tells us that for three long hours uh, before Jesus actually died on the cross, darkness came over all the land. And as Jesus cried out and breathed his final breath, here's what Matthew writes about it. He says, At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. 
The bodies, listen to this, the bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now you'd think after all that, everyone would have known that they just witnessed something out of this world extraordinary. Surely everyone in Jerusalem, they must have decided that day that Jesus really was the son of God. But no, that's not what happened. Even in the face of extraordinary evidence, many humans don't just go and believe everything that seems obvious to other onlookers. Here's another instance that it makes me think about. The stories of the 10 plagues in Egypt. Uh, Moses uh, wows the nation of Egypt with these crazy miracles, these plagues that overrun the nation. But there's two things that happen that I never can understand from these stories. Number one, how can Pharaoh and the Egyptians not see what's going on and themselves also decide that Moses' God is the one true God? After these 10 plagues miraculously ravaged their nation, how does it not dawn on them to put their hope in Moses' God? And then the second thing I think about is how do the Israelite people ever, after all that God did, how do they ever turn their backs on God and not find hope in him? Which they did all the time. Uh, honestly, I, I just don't get it. Based on what we see from these, from these Israelites, uh, and based on what I see in my own life every single day, I'm not so sure that this mother and her son lived the rest of their lives with their hope squarely resting in Jesus. I'm sure my hope is ultimately that, they, that their hope remained intact, but I'd almost be willing to bet money, you know, like a buck or two, on the fact that some days after this event happened, that both this mom and this son said, did Jesus really do what we think he did? Is Jesus everything that we've really assumed he is? Our hope can be really precarious, and if hope can be so precarious for people who have all the reason in the world to put their hope in Jesus, how can we remain hopeful at, at times? That's a big question to tackle because we as humans, we stink at keeping hope alive. In fact, I think our default actually a lot of times is doubt. We default to doubt. So let's, let's look at this mother first. Here's what, what we should see from her vantage point. When we come to her in the story, she's obviously struggling. Uh, this mother's situation felt hopeless. Now, why did she feel hopeless? Here it is, her only son was dead. She was already a widow. There was no man left in the family to be able to earn a living. And in that society, she wasn't allowed to earn a living. So at this point, she was likely going to be unable to cover the basic necessities for her life. So she's going to actually have to become dependent on the charity of other people around her. Now, okay, you can understand how that would feel hopeless, right? Having to depend on the charity of other people, it's a bad feeling. You don't hold all the cards in your hand. You don't feel like you've got all this, you're providing all of your own security. You want to talk about a, a vulnerable feeling. There is a lot of people who feel that every day. Feeling that kind of hopelessness makes hoping in Jesus a tougher stretch than for people who are financially secure. Let's be honest, this is why things like the Dollar Club at our church, I think are so important. Being able to help out people who are going through financial insecurity so that they can be in a better position to actually have hope. It's why we do food drives and, and give away gift cards and clothes uh, to foster families. 
when, when we help people with their basic needs, it enables them to be more open to finding hope and living out their hope firmly placed in Jesus. It doesn't assure that people are going to turn to Jesus, but it actually opens the door to hope. But it wasn't just the financial despair of this mother what it made, that it made her feel hopeless. Uh, she also was lonely. She was dealing with loneliness. Uh, she was childless. She was already a widow. She, she truly had nobody left. If financial insecurity is the number one reason why people would struggle to find hope, then I think being alone is like reason 1B. Uh, I, I'm actually one of those people, I joke around about liking to be alone. If, if you only know me from, from the church setting, uh, seeing me at church, you might actually get confused and mistakenly think that I'm like some extrovert. It's not the case. I am 100% an introvert. I love my alone time. Um, when there's too many people around for too long, I actually want to crawl in a hole and just not come out for a while. Uh, too many people can actually get me to the point where I start to feel a little bit hopeless. Uh, but I also don't do well with like alone alone. Nobody does good with that. I need somebody in my life that I feel connected to. I just maybe don't need as many of those people as maybe some other people need. And honestly, I, I, pr I feel pretty well off and happy if I'm feeling connected to my wife and my four daughters. Uh, but here's the thing, even the best of human relationships, they aren't perfect all the time. I don't always feel super connected to my wife and to my kids. Uh, and when I don't feel connected to them, loneliness sets in and my brain can begin to question everything. Have you ever been there? Like, man, I, I just don't feel connected right now. I'm a, I'm a little bit lonely. I, I must be a bad person. I'm not husbanding right. I'm not fathering right. Uh, God probably is super annoyed with me and everything about me, if there even is a God. And then people are like, whoa, Kellen, that went there super quickly. Like, take it easy. But do you see how that happens? Our insecurities, uh, our feelings of hopelessness, they actually really wage war on our hope in Jesus. And if there's one thing in this life that you can always bet on, there will be moments in your life that feel hopeless. And that's where the mother was. Now I want you to take a moment, let's look at the son's situation in this story. Here's what we should, we should get from his vantage point, if we could see anything. After all, when he comes in the story, he's dead, so he's not seeing anything. But the son's situation was hopeless. Mother's situation felt hopeless, son's situation was hopeless. Now, why was it hopeless? Once again, he's dead. Uh, do I need to elaborate anymore? Like, dead means not breathing, cold, lifeless. That's what he was. And death in our world is the ultimate example of hopelessness. There's nothing in our world that displays to us that something once dead actually can come alive again. It just doesn't happen. Once dead, always dead. Now sure, you might get resuscitated after a minute or two of not breathing, but not like I've been dead so long that I'm now in a coffin kind of resuscitations. Those don't happen. They just don't. Uh, this young man was not just dead at the scene of an accident and in need of a quick resuscitation. He was dead long enough for a funeral to be planned, to be carried out, for the burial spot outside of town to be determined, to be he was prepared for burial. He was placed in a, an open casket to take to his final resting place. Or so that was what it was thought. Have you ever been in a situation like this young man where things didn't just feel hopeless, they actually were hopeless? You've given up on, on something completely. And maybe it was a relationship. 
my heart breaks for anyone who comes to the place where they realize that their marriage has lost hope. And I can't understand the difficulties associated with trying to find hope in Jesus through a moment like that in life, but I know that even in that kind of moment, all hope is never lost. I felt the hopelessness of uh, the feeling of losing your integrity. Uh, doing something that you felt so much guilt over that you're like, man, I, I, I'm never going to be able to get it right again. People are never going to look at me well again. And on this matter, this, this story that I'm going to share, it might actually sound a little bit lame to some of you, and I get that, but I think it shows how actually fragile our integrity is and how damaging it can actually, it, man, we can lose hope. Um, Crystal and I, we had just moved into our second place that we ever rented together. And it was this cute little duplex home in Onalaska, Wisconsin. The owner lived on the upper part of the duplex. We had the bottom part. Um, and we wanted to, to kind of move in in a pretty quick turnaround from the last people who, were, who had lived there. And so I agreed to actually paint the rooms uh, before we moved in, just so we could get it done quickly. And uh, the owner at one point gave me some money to go and get more paint at Menards. And so I, I, I went, I got the paint, and there was like two bucks and change that I got back from it. And I also noticed that they were doing the 11% rebate at that time at Menards because they do that like every third day, it seems like. And so I grabbed one of those uh, rebate forms and I, I sent it in without really thinking about it. Well, about two weeks later, this lady knocks on my door and she's asking for her change back and for the rebate receipt. I felt like a chump. In my brain, I had made it okay that I kept the $2 and change and sent in the rebate that was maybe good for like another two bucks or something like that because I figured that I was saving her way more money by doing the painting myself. She did not feel that way. She actually said to me, and this is almost a quote, I can't remember, this is like 20 years ago, okay, but she said, I have never had someone do something that lacked this much integrity before. I was like, that doesn't feel good. And I was a pastor in town. I, I literally lost all hope that Crystal and I could ever show this woman who Jesus is because I lacked integrity over four bucks. And I get it. Most of you are probably, probably thinking like, yeah, four, four bucks is nothing to get bent out of shape over. But $4 or $4,000, a lack of integrity is a lack of integrity. And I seriously believe that this woman might never think of Christians well again or Jesus well again because of this situation. You're going to have situations that feel worse than hopelessness over the course of your life. In fact, they might even feel a little bit like death itself. Uh, but I want you to hear this. With Jesus, even death is never a finality. This boy's story in this mir miracle of Jesus is an example of this very fact. Jesus proves it here. He proves it with the story of Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. He proved it in his own life. Death is not an end, but he also proves it beyond just that. He proved it with the woman caught in adultery. Her sin was a death in itself, but there was life after death with Jesus. Jesus proved it with Peter. After Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was, this was a moment, uh, it was a death in Peter's life that he felt like he wasn't gonna be able to come back from. And Jesus not only brought him back, but he made Peter the rock of the church moving forward. Your hopelessness is not a final death. Your sin, it doesn't have to be final with Jesus. Your divorce, it might be final in legal terms, but with Jesus, there's always hope for a relationship that can be made healthy again for your sake and maybe for the sake of your children. There's always hope. In those moments where you feel that there is no hope, 
You have to ask yourself whether you're trusting in your own understanding and ability or are you trusting in Jesus because with Jesus, no death is final. Now, as we look a little further into this story, I, I think that there's going to be some things that Jesus does for this woman and her son that can give us a picture of what he's doing for you and me in our darkest moments. And the first thing is this. Jesus speaks words of encouragement in whatever darkness you're living through. I want you to listen again what Jesus says to this woman. He says to her in verse 13, don't cry. Now, can you just imagine if you lost your child or anyone close in your life for that matter, and someone that you didn't even know dropped by the funeral and looked at you and tried to empathize with you and said, don't cry. Which, of you th which ones do you think that you would wind up smacking that person upside the head? I'm thinking that there's a good chance I would do that. Uh, but what if that person then went up to the casket, spoke to the one that you loved and told them, wake up, and that person woke up? See, Jesus' words should enter our ears differently than anybody else's words because he has power to back up whatever he's promising. If he tells you not to cry, you better believe that you have reason not to cry. Uh, Jesus' actions in the middle of this funeral would give this woman hope that she needed to not cry. She, he, she was able to realize when he says don't cry, crying wasn't necessary. And here's where that hits us in our lives. The promises and encouragement of Scripture, they might feel shallow in your own experiences until you fathom that Jesus is truly capable of backing up what he speaks. Now, if you don't know me well, here's an ugly truth about me. Growing up in the church, I've always hated some of the cheesy, Christian-y things that we say as Christians. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Like, I know it's true, but it annoys me when people talk that way. I don't know what it is about me. Ending a letter or an email with God bless, forgive me, but I just, it's hard for me to write it. It just feels weird. So I write things like, hope you have a great week, which you may not realize it. It's actually a blessing in and of itself. Here's the thing though. Nothing that Jesus says is cheesy or wishwashy. I imagine that when he spoke to this woman, immediately she probably didn't feel great about him telling her not to cry. But once she was given a reason not to cry, once her son was given new life, she was able to see just how powerful and right on Jesus' words had been to her. If you study the promises and the encouragement of Jesus in Scripture, you might not feel in the moment like, like they're really ever going to become true for you. It might be hard for you to even hear that what Jesus is trying to say into your heart, but do this. Preach those promises to yourself daily. Preach it over and over to yourself. Find a list of God's promises on Google. Read them in scripture every day. Again, you may not feel like in the moment, like they're, they're for you, but trust that one day you're gonna see how they were true for you all along. Jesus is speaking encouragement into your darkness. We've just gotta be willing to listen and believe. Now, the second thing that Jesus does in this story, Jesus speaks words of life into that which is otherwise dead. In verse 14, Jesus literally spoke to the dead young man and told him to get up. And then he reached out to touch him. I want you to think about if you were one of those pallbearers carrying that casket, how shocked would you have been about what was going on? First off, Jesus is a rabbi. He knows full well that touching that casket, the casket of a dead person, it's going to make him unclean. But here's what those pallbearers didn't know that Jesus knew. He couldn't become unclean because his touch 
made the unclean clean, not the other way around. Jesus makes the dead alive again. Is your impossible really more impossible than a dead young man who hasn't breathed for a long enough time to be put in a casket? I think Jesus picked out this young man's funeral to show us just how not impossible our impossibles really are. No matter how impossible things may seem for you, Jesus will still address you and deal with your exact needs no matter how improbable it might seem. There's one last thing that I think that we see Jesus doing in this story, and it's this. Jesus is the one who was promised long ago as coming to be our help. This is really important for us to see. We often think of God as being the one who's out to get us, who's out to judge us when we do things wrong, but that's actually not right thinking. We see in this story how the writer Luke is obviously tying Jesus up with stories of of some of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Both Elijah and Elisha had performed almost exact kind of similar healings of the dead back in their days of prophecy. Uh, The people in Jesus' story here, they actually seem to make a connection to these prophets of old. When they said about Jesus, he's a great prophet. Uh, He's appeared to us. It says actually in verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's redeeming plan that he had from the beginning of all things. A plan where God's sole mission was to help the people that he had created. And his plan is just that. His plan is to help you, not to hurt you. His plan is to offer us hope where otherwise we shouldn't have any hope. And that hope is found solely in Jesus. That hope arrives as Jesus brings life to our spirit. While we were dead in the trespasses of our sin, he brought us life and forgiveness. Just like every other story about Jesus, this one is, this is what it all comes down to, giving us hope. Jesus has come to be your help, not to be disappointed in you because you can't figure out how to get things right all the time. He's willing to bring your spirit back from death as many times as is needed. And like we talked about earlier, some of you, you're feeling helpless. We're fickle people. Uh, Just like the Israelites who witnessed God's miracles and then turned their backs on him in the desert. We came into the church last week maybe feeling great, and this week we've come in questioning everything. Maybe bad things have happened to me. Maybe I've gone against what I know God desires me to do. Now I'm hopeless to get his approval again. Listen, God calls us to live a certain way, but not because he wants to doom us when we fail. He just wants what's best for us. If you've messed up in big ways, and we all have done it, hope isn't even close to being lost for you. I want you to hear this one last thing as I wrap up today. God is never disappointed in you when you fail to live faithfully. He's only disappointed for you. See, God wants the best for you. And the best thing you can do today is trust that he gives you hope. Trust that he has a promise for your life and that he won't retract because you've messed up. Trust that his way in life leads to health and hope. Uh, Today, maybe your hope feels dead. Maybe Jesus' words have, have always seemed hollow to you and you feel like his promises just are not for you. Do you believe, though, that like he did with this dead young man, do you believe that Jesus can bring life to your spirit today? Are you willing to place your hope in his eternal goodness once again? Why don't you let me pray with you? Lord, I thank you so much that you give us hope. Even when it seems like hope is all lost, 
We feel hopeless. We, we are hopeless. God, there is hope in you. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us, because uh, here's the thing, I think every single one of us at some point, even in this next week, our hope is going to be shattered a little bit. God, I pray in those moments that you'd remind us of your promises. God, help us to study your promises. Help us to study scripture so we know what you actually are saying is, is true for our lives. And God, I pray that in those darkest moments that we come up against this week and in the weeks ahead, help us to believe your promises. Help us to find hope in you when all hope seems like it should be lost. We love you. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now what we're going to do is we're going to just take communion together. And I just want to read to you uh, what happened when Jesus sat down with his disciples at that Last Supper. This is found in Matthew 26. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, right now, as we, as we take uh, something to eat and, and take this, this juice or water, whatever you might have at home, and, and we remember Jesus' body and blood given up for us, uh, we do it because we know he gives us forgiveness of sins. We know that all of the hopelessness that we had because of our sin, he's now given us hope. And that's what we're remembering today. So would you remember this with me? Lord, uh, we are grateful for the hope that we find in Jesus. God, I thank you that you died for each and every one of us to forgive us of the sin that we've committed. God, I pray that you would renew us with your hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.